We're continuing our study in Romans. Last week, we began by looking at the first of the major uh, pairs of themes, sin and righteousness. And tonight, we're going to move on to the second in our series, which deals with faith and works. Paul has a lot to say in Romans about faith. In fact, as you read through the book of Romans, you find out that over and over, Paul refers to either faith or believing or one of the equivalent words for faith that occur in the scriptures. What do we mean by faith? Are we talking about a script that we assent to? Well, there is one text in which that is a possibility. But normally, the first distinction for faith is that it is saving faith. It's the confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that he will deliver us from our old life and bring us into a new life. That's simple faith. In chapter 1 of Romans and verse 17, Paul says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. Some translations of the Greek, and in fact the wording of the Greek, would also support it saying, in that last quotation, the righteous by faith will live. Because not only do we live by faith here upon the earth, but through all eternity we will live because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have put our confidence and rely upon him, we will live for all eternity. There will be no end to our life. Because we've been made righteous, not by our own good works, but by our faith and confidence in him. He's the one who has made it possible for us to become children of God. Simply putting our trust in the Lord Jesus. In chapter 3 and verse 22 and the following verses, Paul says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And that's the same word actually repeated again, but the translators didn't want to bore us by using the same word, and so they, they used the alternative, which means the same thing, those who believe. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who have faith. It is the act of believing and the consistency of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ that makes us who we are and what we are. There's no difference 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. As we put faith in what he has done, as we rest our confidence upon what he has done and not upon our own efforts in our own selves, as we rest our confidence upon him, the amazing things happen. We are made at one with God. We were talking about atonement last week. How originally in the old Anglo-Saxon, it was actually three words, at one meant. To make at one with God. Yes, he, his sacrifice works in us because we trust him to do in us what only he can do. He did this to demonstrate his justice because of his forbearance. He left our sins committed beforehand unpunished, but he wanted to demonstrate his justice that he is the one who justifies, this is the end of verse 26, who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. See, it's not just an act of faith, but it's a consistency of faith, an attitude of faith. And that is an important element to faith. It's not just an act. Believe, you're saved. That's it. Now forget about it. No, it's a consistent attitude of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why he uses an example, Abraham, the forefather of all believers. If he had been justified by works, and we'll look at that in a few moments, he would have had something to boast about. But not before God. No. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. Abraham put his faith in God and continued believing in him, continued holding his faith in him. And that was what was credited to him as righteousness, his consistency in following God. When a man works, well, his wages are not credited to him as a gift. He's earned them. It's an obligation. But the man who doesn't work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, ah, it's his faith that is credited to him as righteousness. You don't have to be perfect in order to be a child of God. You have to be a child of God in order to be perfect. <laughs> it works the other way around, as we shall see in just a few minutes. The attitude of faith. And then there's the fruit of faith. Yes, if you look in chapter 14, and from the second verse onwards, chapter 14 and verse 2 and following, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. 
man who eats everything must not look down on the one who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the one who does. For God has accepted him. You see, the fruit of faith is that we will seek not only to please God, but we will refrain from judging others who don't share the same ideas, the same convictions that we do. The one thing that makes the difference is putting our faith in the Lord Jesus. If our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, he changes us from the inside out. And it's not from the outside in. The one who relies on works tends to say, if you do these things, you will become a believer. The one who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior says, if you trust in him, you will do exactly what God directs you to do. Because the result of faith, as we shall see, is very often shown in our deeds. Not only is there the fruit of faith, but also in chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul talks about, verse 11 and 12, he talks about the gift of faith. Verse 11 and 12 of chapter 1, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. What do you mean, Paul? What are you talking about? That is, that you and I might be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Faith isn't something we earn, it's a gift. Faith isn't something that we acquire, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. When we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit and allow him to work in us, we find that we believe. And even in situations where once we thought, I could never face that and remain a Christian, God carries us through. He changes us from the inside out. It is a gift from God that we believe. Similarly, if you look over in chapter 12 and verses 3 and 6, you will see again the reference to the gift of faith. By the grace given to me, Paul says in verse 3, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. That's where it starts. The measure of faith that God has given you enables us to see ourselves as we really are. Look again at verse 6. Talking about the different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man gifted... Man's gift is prophesying, verse 6. Let him use it in proportion to what? 
His faith. Yes, it's in proportion to his faith. It is how much we're prepared to trust God and rely upon God that determines whether the different gifts that he has given us are being used for, the glor for his glory and are being effective. If you find it hard to imagine that God's going to use you, trust him. He knows exactly what he wants to do through you and with you and by you. He knows how he wants to impact the lives of those around you. Sometimes you can be going into Walmart or somewhere, you meet somebody who's crippled, sick, obviously suffering. What do you do? Oh, I'm so sorry for you. I sympathize with you. Or do you say, I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. And to your astonishment, something happens. They're healed. And you say, huh? Why would God heal someone when I pray for them? <laughs> I tell you why. Because he has given you the faith to believe that he will fulfill his word. He's the one who said, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. So if he is with you, it's not you who's doing it. It is he who is doing it through you. You become a channel of blessing. That was a lesson God taught me years ago. When he first called me to the ministry, I had a terrible stammer. I couldn't speak. In fact, when I told the pastor of the church that God had called me to the ministry, he said, it'll never happen. There is no way. And he even wrote to the Bible school advising them not to accept me because no one could stand to listen to me. In fact, the young lady that I started dating, her mother told her, don't bring him home, I can't stand to listen to him. <laughs> the day I walked into another Bible college, the day I walked in through the, the, over the threshold, the president of the Bible college's wife mistook me for someone else, a Canadian lecturer called Mr. Quick. He was a great guy, great teacher. And he had, in the shadows, I had a resemblance of him. And she said, oh, Mr. Quick, what are you doing here? Classes don't start for another week. And I responded to him, my name's not Quick. I'm Ian Hall, a new student. The young man who was with me, who had driven me all the way to, uh, across country to that Bible school, looked at me in astonishment. He said, Ian, you can speak. She looked at him in astonishment and said, well, why wouldn't he be able to speak? He said, you don't understand. He has the worst stammer. You can hardly understand what he's talking about. I've never heard him speak clearly. And God at that moment delivered me from that stammer. Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here today. 
And that's <coughs> years later. <laughs> I won't tell you how many years, otherwise you'll say, silly old man. No, but it's God. God enables us to do the things that no one ever imagined we could do, and we certainly didn't imagine that we could do ourselves. But it was God. And why? Because he's with us, and our confidence is in him. Amen. It's the gift of faith. So if God presents you with an opportunity for service, even if it's something that you imagine that you could never do, in a thousand years, do it. Step out in faith, in confidence on him, relying entirely upon him, and you'll be amazed at what God will do through you. You'll be amazed at how he will answer your prayers. You'll be amazed at the opportunities you will get for witnessing. You'll be amazed at what God will do because you're a child of God. Yes. You belong to him. Your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ and he can, he can help you do things that you never imagined. Of course, sometimes, it, when we talk about faith, it does indeed refer to what I call in my notes, creedal faith. Look at chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. It's talking about the written. What is that creedal faith? Here's the book. It's all written down. This is how God has worked in the past, and this is how God will work in the future, and this is how God is working in the present, in your life and in my life. This is, this is not a collection of unique people. This is not the story of some rare humans who just happened to be used by God. No. This is the model, the example for every one of us. And that's why we can look in the book and see how God can use us, will use us, and what it means. You see, the creed isn't I believe in, I believe in. The creed is believing in. The creed is following the word. The creed is holding to the word. Yes, it does demand intellectual assent, as chapter 4 and verse 5 says. To the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Yes. If you say yes to God, God says yes to you. If you say, well, Lord, I'm not sure whether you can use me here. I'm not sure whether I can rely on your promise. I'm not sure whether this is your way or not your way. Oh, my dear friend, put your confidence in him. 
Say yes every time. See, there are two aspects to faith. Commitment and confidence. What do we mean when we talk about commitment? Well, look at what Paul says in chapter 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. My dear friend, all that we have and all that we are comes to us through faith through simply committing our lives to him and letting him take care of the rest. He will supply every need that you have when you commit your life wholly to him and rely wholly upon him. There are times when God will astonish us by the things that he does in our lives and the things that he provides for us. There are some times when we can think, no, this isn't something that God can do. This isn't something that God will do. This isn't something that God wants to do. How do you know? Have you trusted him to do it? Have you relied upon him to do it? Have you been in a situation in which the only answer was a miracle from God? And what do you get? A miracle from God. It's that commitment to him that says, yes, I'm opening the door, Lord. You have your way and you be glorified in my life and through my life. You see, along with the commitment comes the confidence. Once you've seen what God can do, it makes you more confident and you realize more and more, hey, God can do things that I never even imagined. I wouldn't have even attempted to do such things if I didn't know that God could carry me through. That's why Paul says in chapter 14, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. Another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. It's not that one is higher than the other, one is better than the other. It's that one has confidence in God and will allow God to supply every need that he has. Our confidence is in the Lord. We're not trying to supplement what God has done by our own good works, as important as those works may be. No. We're relying upon God. He sets the foundation. It's on that foundation of faith that we are able to step out and see God's will done in our lives. You see, when we co compare faith with works, when we talk about works, we're talking about deeds. 
the things that we actually physically do. Now, some people, and there are some branches even of the Christian religion, in which they lay down, do this, 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 and this, and you'll be a believer. Or don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Stay away from those things, and that'll show that you're a believer. My dear friend, the Bible is very clear. The basis of what we do is the one in whom we believe. In chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul says, Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks about the blessedness of the man in whom God, God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they, they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never hold against him. Does that mean then that we can just go on in sin so that grace can abound, so that God's mercy can be shown? No. What it means is that God shows his mercy so that we can get our feet set on a new pathway, the right pathway, and we can do that which is right in the sight of God. We've been justified by faith, and we live by faith. That is why he uses the example of Abraham. And he said, we've been saying, verse 9, We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So what happened was, by faith, Abraham was declared righteous. He demonstrated his righteousness by obeying God in an area that no one would have even imagined. My friend, you demonstrate your faith by the deeds that you do. The things that you do in your life show how much you're trusting God. You don't have to go on in sin Oh yes, the old nature tries to get us to sin because the works of the sinful nature are sin. The works of the sinful nature lie under the condemnation of God. The works of the sinful nature are rejected by God. And there's something within us that says, oh yes, that's what I want to do. That's the way I want to go. And then God comes in and transforms us from the inside out. So we no longer want to do those things. We no longer want to follow in that way. We no longer want to 
behave in a way that is in, in opposition to and contrary to God. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul describes some of the works of the sinful nature. He says in verse 19, chapter Galatians 5.19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then how should we live? Well, let's look at chapter 5 of Romans and verse 13. Before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even of those who did not sin by breaking a commandment as did Adam, which was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. Many died by the trespass of one man. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? As we trust him, his gift of righteousness transforms us from the inside out. The old deeds of the flesh that brought about death and destruction are gone. We are now living by faith. And to live by faith carries both the meaning of living in accordance with our faith and living by depending upon God with confidence, knowing that he will carry us through. That even when we face temptations, I had a friend who used to drink heavily. And when he, when he tried to give up drink, he went to like an Alcoholics Anonymous group and they warned him, now never go near the bars that you used to frequent. But I remember him telling me one day he had to go down that street where one of the bars that he regularly went to was located. And oh, he was so nervous. And as he was walking along, suddenly, any temptation to go into the bar was gone. And he had no thought of ever going in there again. He was delivered. He was set free. And it was because of his confidence in God. It was God who was carrying him through and giving him a new vision and a new outlook. Remember the story about Augustine? How he uh, became a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ through re reading in the book of Romans. And then a young woman 
who he had had frequent sexual relations with, came up to him, Augustine, it is I. And do you remember what his response was? Yes, but it is no longer I. I am now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Changed from the inside out. You see, our works become a reflection of not only who we are, but whose we are. Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. Romans 1 and verse 5. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Our life of obedience is not a reflection of the strength of our wills, but a reflection of the strength of our faith. We're putting our confidence in him and he'll carry us through. He'll give us the victory. He will enable us to live a life that is pleasing in his sight, not by our own strength, but by his strength in us. It's the Holy Spirit working in us and creating that new nature, that God-like nature that will enable us to live the way God wants us to. And when I say God-like, I don't mean that we're like gods who should be worshipped. No, I mean our nature should reflect him, God, should show him to the world. So that when people look at us, they don't just see Ian Hall. Oh, yeah. They see the Lord Jesus Christ living in Ian Hall, changing himself, changing that life into something different. I've been amazed how many times people who I don't know have made comments to me that reflect something that I totally did not expect. I was in a store just a few weeks ago and the man in front of me, he needed to pay his, his bill and he was paying in cash. And it was so many dollars and four cents. And he gave the girl another $5 bill, which was the smallest change he had. And the girl said, I'm sorry, I don't have any change. I've run out of change. And so I intervened and I said, well, I've got four cents. Here's four cents. And so he said, well, thank you very much. She gave me his $5 back. And he turned to me and he said, here's the $5 for you, for your ministry. Ministry? How in the world did he think that I was involved in some kind of ministry? I mean, it's not like England, where we used to, uh, uh, if you were a clergyman, you wore a clerical collar, and so everybody could identify you as a clergyman. You normally wore a black shirt with this clerical collar or maybe a dark blue shirt or something, but I was just dressed 
like anybody else. I wasn't uh, coming along with a badge saying clergyman. I wasn't saying, oh, I'm a minister, I'm a minister, I'm a minister. No. I was just doing what any normal person would do. You see someone in his four cents, what's four cents? I mean, that's not like a hundred years ago where it might have been a, a whole week's wages. <laughs> no, four cents is neither here nor there. But there was something that spoke to him. Something that he saw. And time after time, my wife and I have found that people identify as just, is it the look on our face? Friend, it's God shining through us and through you. You know it's happened to you just the same. It happens all the time. Why? Because you, your life is a reflection of who you belong to. And the deeds that you do show the one who you serve. Your life is like a mirror reflecting the glory of God. Yes, there are some works that do deserve merit. In chapter 4 and verses 4 through 6, Paul says, when a man works, his wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. Left the man who doesn't work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. And David says the same thing. Is, it, is this blessedness only for the circumcised and not, or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it so credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? No, it was not after. It was before. It was worthy of God honoring him. And we also are to, according to verse 12, are to walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. We are to walk by faith. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. You see, once you take that step of faith, you are on a pathway that is going to lead you from blessing to blessing to blessing to blessing as you allow God to use you in a variety of ways in any way. Who knows how God is going to be using each one of you even this evening when you leave this place? Who knows? I don't. God does. 
He knows exactly what he's got in mind with your life and how he's going to use you tomorrow and the next day and indeed every day. He knows exactly what he's going to do with you. And the more you allow him to use you, the more he will use you. It's not a matter of qualifying. It's a matter of being open to the flow of the Spirit of God through you. This world needs to see more godly examples of Christian men and women living out their faith on a day-to-day basis. Oh, I know sometimes we're tempted to do what we know we ought not to do, and then we think, well, at least they didn't know that I was a Christian. At least it's not going to have a bad reflection on the church or on the name of Christ or on the Christian faith. Oh, my dear friend, do what God wants, and whether they know it or not, you as a Christian will be a channel of blessing and you will be used by God in the most amazing ways. Yes, my dear friend, God wants to use you for his glory. The whole of that fourth chapter is an encouragement to those of us who are not of Jewish descent, but of Gentile descent to let our lives be open for God to use us wherever, however, and whenever he wants. He didn't waver through, Abraham didn't waver through unbelief, but he was strengthened in his faith. He became stronger and stronger. He was fully persuaded, verse 21, that God had the power to do what he had promised. Oh, my dear friend, you may not be able to do it. Neither can I. But God can. And there's no limit to what God can do. That's why he is not just the eternal God, but he is the omniscient God. That word means he knows everything. He is the omnipotent God. That means he can do everything. as well as being the eternal God, that means he can do it all the time. He never changes. He can keep on doing exactly what needs to be done. So, when we look at faith and works, we see that faith is foundational to our salvation. Without faith, we cannot be saved. Chapter 3, verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to all who believe. Not just to a select few, not just to those who stand on on some kind of pedestal as a saint. We're all saints of God. That's what the Bible calls us. Not because we deserve to be called Saint Ian, Saint... Charlie, Saint, whatever. No. We are children of God. We're part of his 
family, and this faith is foundational to our faith. Where then is boasting? Verse 27 of chapter 3. It's excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No. On that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. That doesn't mean that he doesn't observe the law. It means that observing the law is not the consideration that determines whether he is saved or not. No. It, apart from means separate from, independent of, irrespective of whether we observe the law. Is God the, the God of the Jews only? Is, is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there's only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. We're all made just as if we'd never sinned by simply trusting him. Do we nullify the law by the faith? No, we uphold the law because the end result is that we begin to do what we ought to do because God has done what he promised to do inside every one of you. He makes it possible. In chapter 4, verse 11, we find out that this faith is not just foundational to our salvation, but also to our very life. Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe. Even those who have not been circumcised. It is faith that is the basis for our life. However we live, it's on the basis of what he has done for us. Because faith is productive. It's demonstrated in the good works that we observe. Earlier in verse 9 of this fourth chapter, Paul says that it was Abraham's faith that was credited to him. And it was Abraham's faith that demonstrated his relationship with God. And the end result was obedience. He did what he did in pleasing God simply because he relied upon God who enabled him to do it. Yes, it's demonstrated in good works. And one day, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, oh, what's going to happen? Well, look back at chapter 3, verse 25. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith 
in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he'd left the sins committed beforehand unpunished, and he did it to demonstrate justice. So that so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Put your faith in him. And when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, of God, at that day, and you think of all the things that you did in your life, and some of us have done some pretty horrific things. Pastor was sharing on Sunday night of some of the horrific things that he got involved in as a child. Oh yes, some of us could match and even out horrify with the kind of things that we did when we were children, when we were young. And then the day came and we were transformed. And that day when we stand before the judgment of God and Satan comes along and he says, God, you know what he did. You know what she did. This, 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 this. And goes through all the sins that we committed. There'll be another voice. The one stepping forward. And says, yes. But they're all wiped out. Obliterated. Washed away. By the blood. Shed upon that cross. He bore the penalty of your sins and mine so that we are no longer held back and chained by the old life. We have a new life in Christ Jesus. Amen. Yes, faith and works are not in opposition to each other. In fact, we couldn't work at all if it wasn't for the faith that he has given us in himself and in what he has done for us upon that cross. Faith and works. Next week we're going to move into another area of comparison. Grace and law. And God will show us from his word what we mean when we talk of the law and what the impact of God's grace is upon our lives as we trust him.